0: All right, welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined for this particular show by Justin Williams from The Athletic and none other than the Cincinnati Bearcats head football coach, Luke Fickle. Coach Fickle, welcome in. We'll get to Justin in a little bit. He's not that important.
1: (laughs) He'll be bouncing in and out with dad duty anyway, so let's just keep rolling.
0: Speaking of dad duty, how are you and your wife handling uh, six of them all day, every day? How fun has that been?
1: Well, let's, let's be quite honest here. Now I'm not handling a whole lot of that. I just ask them to be quiet for, for situations like this. Um, like I just, it, it's, it's a little bit more difficult this week cause we, we are on spring break or they are on spring break. So um, at least that morning occupant, occupying them up till about 12 or one o'clock is, is not there now. So um you know, doing a lot of kicking them out of the house and, and finding other things to keep busy with. Good thing you have a big yard. Uh, well, it is a really good thing that there's a woods and everything behind it, so we can we can send them out of here. We actually <laughs> had uh, yesterday, it was 48 degrees, so... <laughs> have you and Freeman talked
2: about, you know, during this time, you could start up a dad podcast or or something like that i mean
1: yeah i don't know any better experts than you two (laughs) i'm not sure that we we've got experiences i'm not sure that you (laughs) want to um maybe do exactly what it is that we've done but uh we could maybe help people learn on things not to do it's kind of like studying history so you're not condemned to repeat them maybe we can give you (laughs) some insight on maybe what not to do and uh would at least eliminate a few things for you i'll I'll take whatever i can get at this point (laughs)
0: Um, get into, for me, how you've handled this, uh, how you've been able to restructure everything, keep everything kind of as on track as possible, and, and from the outside, looking in, continuing uh, the the positive momentum that you've had as a program.
1: <clears throat> well, I think more than anything, having the core nucleus that we've been able to keep um, is what gives us the greatest opportunity. And being in your going into your fourth year, and not just going into your fourth year, but going into your fourth year with the same offensive coordinator, the same defensive coordinator, a lot of the same core people, the, the strength program, obviously Coach Brady. Um, so to keep those three at least um, with Coach, Coach Gino and and you know a lot of things there um, has given us a lot of opportunities um, to not have as much transition. And that's where I think it's key in all that we're doing Uh, for me as a head coach to have the confidence in those guys and to kind of put a plan in place and you know know that they can execute and implement it and not thinking that I got to be in on every meeting and um, getting an update on every single day as to what it is they're doing Uh, I think that for the first and foremost gives us the opportunity to be able to you know use this time the best we possibly can um, as coaches and uh, for our guys so no more than to say to keep Coach Freeman, to have Coach Dembrock, to have Coach Gino on the offensive side of the ball, and then to have Coach Brady um, with his crew. Uh, we could not do what it is we're doing if we didn't have that.
0: Have you had a philosophy on this that, that you've carried in terms of how, you, how to be aggressive, how to continue to, to stay moving forward, how to work with your guys uh, remotely? Has there been an overall pro- uh, thought process, or has it just been kind of tackle each challenge as you,
1: as you get it? Well, I think that uh, in some ways I've challenged our guys to, to not overdo it, and I think that's where a lot of us can make <clears throat> mistakes as we get this thing going. We don't know um, and can't put a long-term plan in place because you don't know when the end is. So um, kind of looking at that, I kind of said, hey, when we start this thing off, let's let's start it off a little bit slower and, and try to build into it as opposed to you know, doing a meeting every single day and then all of a sudden within a week and a half or two weeks, guys are wore out. Um, so I think our philosophy more than anything is, hey, let's set a plan for them so to keep them in a some type of routine and let's small increments of you know, what we think we can get done. And so for me as the, you know, kind of from the outside looking at each and every coach, uh, I left it up to them. In some ways, whether it meet twice a week, three times a week, do you do it as a full group? Do you do it as, you know, hey, let's do it with the older guys, younger guys, or starters, so to speak, so you can teach at different progressions. Um, but I think key more than anything is to start off a little bit slower, knowing that, hey, we're doing this because we care. We want to be able to see your faces, you know, a few times, three times a week, just to make sure everything is going okay. Uh, and then start to ramp it up hopefully as we were feel like we're getting closer to what the end is. Um, So I I don't know that there's a perfect way of doing it. Uh, Having older guys is is a big deal, Um, but more than anything, I'm just kind of looking month to month, you know, kind of in a a three to four week period, like, and then I'll kind of say, coach, this is what I'd like to think we need to do. This is how we need to challenge them. So, you know, somebody's looking ahead to what's coming down the barrel the next, at least three to four weeks. Coach, uh, I think for a lot of people, especially maybe younger
2: guys that you're working with, you know, some of this stuff doesn't really resonate until it's on their doorstep. James Hudson put on Twitter yesterday that his mom had tested positive for the virus. How does that change what you're saying, or what do you say to him in a situation like that? What do you say to your other athletes and coaches
1: when something like that happens? Well, we've been in great communication. And the good thing for – I don't know exactly where James's mom is – but she's seven days in, so in some ways, there. You know, we'd been on this uh, six days ago when she first got sick. Um, but I think more than anything, it's it's kind of gives the same message that I've kind of kept trying to hammer it home to our guys. Um, not that we're talking to them. I, I have a meeting every day, but hey, let's do our part. And the more we do our part, the better opportunities we'll have. At getting back into the things that we want to do, and you hate to say it, but sometimes it's got to strike you—not um, just for the eighteen to twenty-two years, but for all of us—it has to kind of hit you right in the face for you to realize you know, the severity of what it is that's going on. And hoping that there's not a severe, severe case with with you know with James's mom, um, but nonetheless, it is a case, and I think that. If not for anything, it makes us all just kind of realize that, you know, this, we are not immune um, because we're doing everything the way we're supposed to in quarantine and, and this, that, and the other thing to you know, what everybody else is going through. So in some ways, I everything from what I know is, is good with her and she's in a good place. And um, so in a way we can use it as a way for us to also learn to see, hey, let's don't wait on this thing to happen to more of us. Um, to make sure we understand and realize how serious it is. You talk about the importance of coaches,
2: whether it's the continuity that you've had um, or obviously you had to hire a couple of new position coaches this year. And I know that all gets magnified in a situation like this where everyone's kind of separated and you're having to really keep tabs. You've had a lot of success, I think, in some of the assistance that that you hire, whether it's the guys who've been with you the whole time, um, or even recent hires since then, recruiting on the field development, all that kind of stuff. What's your hiring philosophy? You know, what's your approach to hiring assistant coaches or just staffers in general for the program?
1: Well, it's it's the right ones, and I think <clears throat> a lot of times it's what I kind of say sometimes in recruiting, and so I go, "Come on, define what that means." But it, but it really is. It's not, "Hey, who's the best coach in America or or out there that you have an opportunity to get." Um, it's, Hey, what's the best fit for what it is that we need. And I think each and every coaching change that we've made or had, um, we've gotten better as a staff and as a program. And that's not to say that in year one to year two, that, you know, because we brought Mike Mickens in, he was a better coach than, um, Willie Martinez. The reality was he was better for what we needed at that time for that unit and for us as a staff. And, you know, the same thing being done, um, with all the coaching, we've gotten better, not because we're better coaches. I mean, you know, we lost Coach Phillips, and we're going to be better um, in some ways than we were before. And that was a core member of our coaching staff. He'd been from day one when we started this thing, when Coach Freeman and him moved into my basement in Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) You know, that's a core to what it is that you do. But um, as he walks out, it's a different time now. And if we have a chance to make our program better, there's some things that, you know, we could bring in that maybe – Uh, even coach Phillips didn't provide for us. So I think we've been fortunate. I've been fortunate. Our program has been fortunate. in every one of these moves um, we've been able to make ourselves better. And to be honest, coach Doug uh, coach Phillips is the first kind of, what I would say is a core nucleus to what we've done um, that is left, you know, and, and I think just having to be the situation with coach Enos that, that would have been one I was more concerned about replacing because I believe he was a core nucleus to what we're doing. Um, but it just happens that you had a guy that was a G- uh, GA or uh, coach. Dembrock was a GA when he was playing. Uh, he coached coach Gino. He'd been at the university of Cincinnati. What a fit that allowed us to bring us somebody with his, you know, credentials into what it is that we need, but also has a history with a lot of the guys around us. And you can say it's similar as to, Coach Perry, too, Um, and him, you know, coaching Coach uh, uh, Mick. He was defensive coordinator when Coach Mick was the corners coach at BG. So there was a connection. There was a similar language. It's just we're very fortunate, uh, you know, to have those guys that fit in, especially in this situation, that they're not completely new because there's a lot of connections.
2: What
0: are the emotions for you as a head coach when a guy like Mike Mickens comes in, does a great job here, gets the opportunity to go somewhere like Notre Dame. Um, Are you like a, a proud parent in that case?
1: Well, there's mixed emotions. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we fought our butt off and kept recruiting Coach Mick to stay. But um, really know that, you know, most importantly, we want these guys to have the, the best opportunities for their families. And I'm not saying leaving and moving on is always the best opportunity. Um, but there's a part of you that's, that's excited for him and proud, Uh, just to have been a part of what it is he's done um, and his growth here. I I actually, I don't like losing any of them. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I love it when a guy comes in and does an incredible job and then has an opportunity like coach Mick has because of the way his guys have performed and what he's done on the recruiting trail and in a, in a kind of a body uh, of work that makes you incredibly proud. It's tough sometimes when a guy leaves in one year, to be honest with you, because, it's not always based on, hey, your guys played really well. You showed some development. You know, that's kind of the natural progression. Sometimes it's just when they know somebody. And in some ways those guys, you know, you're not happy about. Um, but when a guy comes in and kind of does as, as Coach Mick has done and, and, you know, Coach Joe, just, yes, there, there's, there's a part of you that's selfish that doesn't want him to go and knows what they've done for the program, what they can continue to do, then there's a part of you that says, you know what, I am incredibly happy for him uh, and this opportunity for his family. Um, you know, so it's a little bit of a mixed emotion, uh, and especially for guys like, you know, guys that did the, the job that Coach Mick did. Speaking of defensive line,
0: um, <laughs> Craig Scrubs had talked about not wanting to get into coaching. <laughs> That, that he wanted to be in a player development role, um, that, that that's where he had saw his, his career going. What changed? What uh, taking <clears throat> through those conversations with him and and his mentality changing to wanting to to move to the front of the room and be a defensive line coach.
1: Well, you, you're exactly. I mean, he, Coach Cruz was never. He never. He hasn't denied it. Never will deny. It. He said, I when we hired him at the at the player development position, he said, look, I got no intentions of coaching. Um, and we'd have, I'd have hired him, or we'd have hired him. Um, had he said he really and someday would like to coach just because of the sheer fact of after meeting him, they said it's a guy we got to have in our program. Um, but he never did. <clears throat> never wanted any – wanted to have a different relationship with guys, thought he added value in different ways, and, and what he saw was the future of you know, where he was going to go with his career. Um, and to be honest, he was actually at a convention on mental health. So we had sent him with our training staff I think he was in California to be honest with you yeah. and uh, doing some, you know, just getting some background on all the mental health stuff that's going on. And, you know, with the student athletes, just so he can be aware and he can better help our kids. And he called me out of the blue from a break at the, at the, at the convention and threw it out to me and said, Hey coach, I just want you to know that I love what it is we're doing here. I love being a part of, you know, all the people involved from the players to all the coaches, to the support staff, um, and I think I could add value as a defensive line coach, if you would see fit. And, you know, we were all in kind of a, I don't know, you know, I was headed somewhere. He was obviously going back in, uh, and I said, Hey, let's, let's don't forget this. Let's talk about this, <clears throat> um, when you get back. So kind of pushed it and, and in my mind kept really to give me some time to kind of sink my you know, thoughts around it and, and actually get with coach Freeman to see what he thought about it. Um, cause everybody in the program loves him. I mean, what he provides. Um, so it, it was, it was just kind of off off the cuff that he, that he threw it out there. And, um, then we went to the, the next step of, for me and, and coach Freeman to kind of not say put him through the, the hoops, but, you know, kind of see how, you know, how much he really wanted to do it. Cause coaching is different. Um, You know, not just with your time because he spent an enormous amount of time with with our kids and players, Um, but just in an expectation. And even sometimes the difference in your relationship and role with those guys uh, is uniquely different. So uh, it was a bit of a process knowing that no matter what, we didn't want him leaving our program. Uh, But from the get-go, we knew it would be a great fit. We just wanted to make sure it was going to be the right fit. Uh, we talked to Brady last week, and he talked about,
2: you know, working with you at Ohio State, and and this was a job that you kind of had on a list of ones that would be a good fit for you, and you've talked about that, that you learned some things from that one year when you coached at Ohio State, and, and maybe it kind of pushed off, you wanted to be a head coach elsewhere, and, and when this came open, you really went after it, so what was it about this job? What did you know and see before coming in here that you felt like, aside from being, you know, a couple hours from from where you were in Columbus and, and all the Ohio ties, what was it about the program that you felt like would be a good fit for you?
1: Well, I mean, I didn't know as much about the program, to be honest with you. I, I knew where it was. I knew what the, fo- what the football was like around it. And I just mean from the greater Cincinnati area to the state of Ohio. Um, and to me, you know, if I asked any of my, so to speak, mentors and ask them, say, okay, if you want to be a head coach, what would be the first criteria for you? And they pretty much all to a T would say, go someplace where you can win. Well, what coach doesn't believe in what it is that they do and doesn't believe that they can take anybody and anybody to be in successful? you wouldn't be a coach. You wouldn't be any good at it. If you, if you didn't believe that. So, but the reality is a, you really believe that there's a core nucleus starting with recruiting um, that you can be successful with. So from afar, I always believed that it was a great place from what I knew more so just what surrounded it. And I thought the unique thing as I started to study it a little bit was I believe that sometimes when you take over something or you go to be a coach, what people need is change. And sometimes that's from the voice to the message to a style. And I really believed what had been here before. Me walking in the door, whether the kids ever knew me from Adam or anything like that, you know, whether they were successful or they weren't successful, to me, change is sometimes a good thing. It's inevitable. Um, but for me in, in, in particular, thinking, boy, I'm going to be a 180 from what they'd had here before. And I think that gave me an op- not not saying better, who knows what's better, but that gives me an opportunity to to get the attention of the kids, um, to make an impact, to make a difference, a lot quicker than it, you know you came in and spoke the same language and kind of kept the same type of environment. I don't want to say culture because culture is sometimes ingrained in a place, but an environment, an atmosphere, and a leadership style that sometimes. You know, there's a lot of guys that are very similar, and I think it's a harder transition um, in that. And I learned that from my time of what happened with Coach Tress, and to be any bit like him was going to be impossible. And anybody that came in after him, as I evaluated it, if they were any bit like him, was going to be really difficult because people, would, those kids, would always compare it. And I think the greatest thing that happened that I saw from there was they came in with two different leadership styles and allowed the kids, you know, struggle at first, but a realization to really kind of make an impact and affect them uh, a lot quicker uh, and even a lot better.
2: You uh, you mentioned recruiting, which is perfect because I have two recruiting experts on this call with me. So what we can get into know, specifics on it. Like, okay. <laughs> We can get into specifics, but what, in general, what makes a good college football recruiter? What What has allowed you to have success in that area?
1: Well, I think it's first is is your ability to you know, find a way to interact with, with you know, not just young people, but somebody of every different walk of life. Um, you know, does it doesn't mean you have to be you know outgoing. Yeah, but I think you got to be able to be who you are. It's kind of like being a leader. You got to be authentic. Um, you got to have your own style. Uh, And you got to believe in what it is that you're doing. Um, You know, some people, you know, I used to say it all the time. Some people, uh, Mike Vray will be a great example. You know, when he came into college, he had never recruited. And I remember Coach Meyer saying, well, I don't know. This guy can't recruit. I said, well, that's the last thing you got to worry about. You know, what he could do in five minutes would take another guy a half an hour. And it wasn't just that he had Super Bowl races. There's – there's a part of people that have some outgoingness, they have some command of a the room that can speak. Um, but they can also take themselves in all different walks of life and, in, in, in every, um, you know, every different type of situation and, um, whether you're going to recruit in the South or the North or the East or the West. And so I think there's a, there's an, there's a ability to be able to be able to adapt, but be authentic in what it is that you do. Um, and truly take an interest in getting to know people. I think to me more than anything, people say, oh, you get, you get sick of recruiting and how much time you got to do in it. Well, if you enjoy meeting people, if you enjoy building relationships, if you enjoy getting to know those kinds of things, it, no, it's not, a, it's not a burden. But if you don't enjoy those things, no matter how much you work at it, it it's really difficult to make some of those connections.
0: You established
1: uh, the state
0: of Cincinnati uh, when you first got here, and you talked about that a lot. Landing the big-name kids, as someone that's been around the program for for a while, landing the big-name kids was hard because staying home was was never the thing to do uh, in recruiting in the city of Cincinnati. It was more the kids that they got were the kids that didn't have the Big Ten offers or didn't have the opportunity to leave. How did you, one, change that – how did changing that mindset develop and how important was it for there to be Jarrell White, Malik Van, Josh Wiley over those first two classes, Javon Hicks, th- those guys that kind of got the ball rolling? And did you – how has that played out in your eyes, seeing now Evan Prater, Jaheen Thomas? It, it, kids want to stay home now.
1: Well, I don't think there's any one formula to it. I think it's, it's time and effort spent. Um, and, and it's building relationships and it's not right for everybody to stay home. You know, I mean, I, I can kind of, um, reflect on it for them a little bit too, that I stayed close to home and it was the greatest thing for me in the world, you know, based on who my family was and what I had at home and just for, for a difference for a multitude of different reasons. Um, but I think what it comes down to is sometimes people, you know, and I imagine get frustrated, you know, nothing more than losing a kid from your own area community um, it becomes even more difficult you know all that time I spent on that kid and this in in, and he's right here and then he goes someplace else and I think that can sour you Um, and I think that probably happened a bit maybe in the past for some guys here and the reality is is you know you're going to have those whether they're close or they're not it just seems to hurt a little bit more sometimes when you put all that effort into somebody that that you believe is you know should and could stay home. So I don't know that there's one possible thing to say you got to do. I know this, that once you get a few, once you start to see, you know, a Jarrell White or a Malik Van, not just come here, but have success to legitimately enjoy what it is that they're doing, I think has a lot of effect on, on, on a lot of other people, whether it's, you know, Evan Prater or Jaheem Thomas, um, for that even even some other guys that might not even have the so to speak big 10 schools that might have just wanted to get away from home you know um so i, I think number one thing you can't do is neglect neglect your home and we walked in here we said it you know well there's not a history in the last you know four or four or five years of kids staying home well that's okay there might not be a history in the first year we're here or maybe the first two years we're here until we've done a better job at building and establishing some really truthful trusting relationships that we can maybe finally get those one or two guys. And and maybe, you know, Jarrell wasn't even as big of a name or maybe I don't, I'm not saying he didn't, but sometimes they just got to see the success that a guy like that has on the football field and the energy it creates, you know, throughout the entire community. I think that, um, those kinds of things continue to build and, uh, As soon as you think you've got a little grasp on it and you've got a a niche for it, it'll change and be gone. So um, I think it's a continued ability to build relationships, uh, keep and create those relationships, but be truthful and authentic as much as you possibly can, especially at home.
0: How much different is recruiting and going into year four than than maybe when you first got here when... You had an entire roster to reconstruct. Not, not that there weren't good players, because as we've seen with the last couple senior classes, there were lots of good players here. But you're recruiting in a, in a broad spectrum. It, does it narrow down now um, a little bit in year four where, you know, like the, the wide receiver room is getting an overhaul for the 2020 season or where you can, you know, maybe look at your defensive line for this coming season is, is five seniors and three juniors. And you can say we need to restock that. How much is it? Does it change now? Where you can be more specific?
1: Well, I think what it does is, if you're doing things the right way, you start to realize, just like last year, that hey, we don't have to take, you know, a junior college guy. We don't have to take, um, you know, the five foot ten guy because he's a really good football player and he can come in and play right away. But that's probably the max and the ceiling that he has. And you start to establish yourself and develop you know, those younger guys in some depth where now you can you can take, you know, you can take a Mod Gardner who you believe is going to be a developmental guy because he's got the length and the things like that. But you don't think a 6'2 guy is going to come in and be able to play for you in the back end right away because he doesn't have the strength and the speed. You know, if he had that strength and speed, he probably would have been everywhere in the country. So I think what it does is it allows us to not think that we got to have a ready-made guy. And I know everybody wants those, but I'm just saying that, you know, we can project and take guys that we truly believe their best football is not even close to being there yet. You know? Um, so I think you got the ability because of some depth and some development that you've been able to do that you don't, you're not always looking to plug somebody in like, Oh my gosh, we need, we need a, we need a stopper here. I mean, if we don't find a you know, a junior college lineman or a junior college this or, you know, something which you're looking for specific, and you can take what, what I like to say the right ones and really look at this guy's best footballs. Still two years away, you know. The Mets' idea that, you know, yes, he's got project, but in in two years, if we do things right, that third year, we can have something special on our hands. In year one and year two, when you don't, you know, haven't developed any depth, don't know what your program can handle. I think you're, you know, you're, you're, you're guessing a little bit more, so to speak, as opposed now. And, and, and it has a lot to do with the coaches at day too. You know, I felt like <clears throat> I told our coaches this when we came there, but until they've been in it for two years, they don't, you don't always know what's going to thrive the best in your, you know, environment and culture. And being at one place for myself for you know recruiting for 16 years 17 years being there for 21 years I believed I had a really good grasp of no matter what the leadership style was whether it was coach Cooper coach Tress or or coach Meyer the types of qualities and the things that really gave you a better chance to excel and I don't just mean athletic ability in the environment and community I think that Even into year three and four now for our coaching staff, they got a better grasp of, you know, what best fits. And I don't mean positionally, but what best fits and the guys who are going to be more successful um, in our environment, our atmosphere and the things we expect those guys to be able to do on a daily basis um, to become a lot better football players.
2: Coach, you mentioned Ahmad Gardner earlier. I'm not familiar with that name. Who? Yeah.
1: Okay. Maybe I'll go ahead for the first time and actually (laughs) refer to him as Sauce. Um, But, yes. Sauce. Whether
2: whether it's, you know, you kind of mentioned that idea of some guys you have to see ahead, that their best football ahead of them, or we can get our hands on them and work with them. Whether it's recruiting or whether it's bringing a guy in and realizing, hey, maybe his best fit is at a – different position, position sometimes on the other side of the ball I feel like that's something that's been credited to you kind of your talent evaluation as a coach even when you were at Ohio State before you were a
1: head coach is that a, a skill a talent that you feel like you have I don't know I, I think it's it's you know even in some of that is is a relationship and when you get a better idea of what the person or kid is and 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 I say that, and sometimes when you – I think you got to do – if you want to be a great recruiter and you want to continue to build a program, you can't – I mean, it's one thing to recruit off of a stars and numbers, but it still is another thing to start to recruit off of, okay, not just what do we need as a position guy here, but what also fits the program, what also fits the environment, what also fits and all the other things that we're trying to do. And as much as you want to recruit – you know, just the player. The reality is, you you got to kind of take a better look at what you believe are the qualities that even make it for more of a successful. Um, what make them or give them an opportunity to be more of a successful player, not always at the next level, but in your program. So I think that you know is, is that what gives you a better chance? I think it gives you a chance to, you know, maybe not always recruit the five star or the highest recruited guy but sometimes recruit those guys that become great football players for you and your program and a lot of times develop into guys that can play at the next level as well. So I think as a coach it's still kind of realizing what that relationship and what those guys, you know, have a little bit more inside that chest um, to figure out, you know, where does this guy kind of fit in in my grand scheme of things because, you know, we don't get to pick them. I don't care where you are. You don't get to – you know you're in Alabama or whatever you don't get to just say who you want you might have a better chance um, but you still got to find the right ones and, and no one it takes some time to get a feel for what's deep down inside that chest and inside that head you know to have a better idea of what you know what they're going to be when they get there
0: how fun is it then to see a guy like Wilson Huber in the bowl practices when you guys finally let him loose and he's running around like a maniac getting in on every play. That's got to feel pretty rewarding to think we might have got this one right.
1: Well, still to be determined, but yes. you know, I, I think that it's a little bit easier in the position I'm in mean, as a head coach because you are stepping back and you're not ingrained in, you know, if you're not Coach Freeman, where you're just ingrained into those 13 guys you got in your room, those 12 guys, it's hard to step back and see that perspective. You know, and so that was different for me when I when I took this role, um, you know, is, is you get to see things in a little bit different light. You don't have the same things on a daily basis. You don't – sometimes don't even build those relationships where at times you can be blinded because of your, you know, objective view based on what you know about those guys. And so I think it takes a balance uh, and to have a coaching staff that's open to the ideas. Nobody loves it. You know, you know, Coach Denbrock didn't love the idea of taking Wilson Huber out of his room and putting him into a linebacker room. And, you know, well, hold on now. You guys in bull Prash are going to take him down there. Well, yeah, but he, we need him for our three tight end sets and sometimes our two tight end sets. And boy, he's he's great for us when we need to be able to put him in the game. And, you know, so he didn't like that taken out of his room. You know, Coach Freeman's got 14 guys, and all of a sudden you throw another guy in his room. It's like, well, you know, I believe in these guys I got in my room. I don't want them to think I lost faith in them when we need somebody new. But I think that's where sometimes the the subjective um, person that can stand a little bit further away has a better chance at seeing those things. If you're always kind of looking at that, and I know it happened to me a few times in, in my coaching career, and you know, Coach Tress would you know make some this change or this change. And you're kind of like, well, hold on now. I, I, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And next thing you know, you're like, Oh, I see what he was seeing. So um, I, I think you have a little bit of that opportunity from, from a, from a different perspective. Um, and I think that's where I'm always trying to just, you know, even in recruiting, I'm always trying to hey, have that different light of, of projecting um, a little bit differently than maybe the position coach, or the offensive, defensive coordinator.
2: Maybe in that same vein, who are, whether they're guys you recruited when you got to Cincinnati or guys you inherited, who are some guys who just have surprised you that, you know, this this guy's a better player has done more for us than maybe I anticipated
1: when, when I, when I first got here, I first met him. Oh, there, there's a lot, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think a, a prime example of one is Josiah DeGar. I mean, I, I hope and believe, I don't know when he's going to get picked, but I, he's going to get picked and, you know, I'm hoping it's a lot earlier than some people think um but he's a prime example of a guy that yes he was playing that same position but I don't know that I saw it in him you know when we first got here to be honest I didn't know probably know his name at first you know I was um you know and he wasn't I don't even know if he played in the first year I know it was Tyler Cogswell was you know playing tight end and maybe he snuck in there a little bit and, and then as the transition happened, and it's not saying it's us and anything magic. It's as much of what happens in the weight room. It's as much of what happens in an all-around environment and culture to what you do. You know, there were some some toughness things that all of a sudden really started to show up in his ability to, to do more than just catch footballs. And so to see his growth uh, was huge. I think, you know having big country leave after his first year and then kind of telling Garrett Campbell and even Chris Ferguson that, wow, yes, I'm in a great place right now, but I really feel like if I'd have had another year there with that staff, that I would have been a much better football player and probably been drafted a lot higher um, going to that next level. And I think testimonials kind of like that mean a lot more than, you know, even what the coaches are saying, and so there's been an incredible amount of development. You could say, "Sauce, yeah, I, I would have been dead wrong on thinking that you know he would help us as much as he obviously did, especially it's just just in the first year." Now I believe that two years down the road, his ceiling was um, really, really, really high. Uh, but there's, you know, I mean, Brian Wright. I know he was a decent player at defensive end, but. Um, to be honest, I mean, he, he did a lot of – as is, is much of a headache as, you know, is, that's probably what this is right here. Some of this great, <laughs> Brian is listening or anywhere around it. I can assure you that it wasn't quite like this a couple of years ago. And maybe had he stayed at defensive end, it wouldn't look as much like Chad's. Um, <laughs> but I also don't think we would be where we are and have played as well as we did in the last two years defensively.
0: Um similar we talked to Brady about this similar with James Wiggins right that first year you guys you thought he smiled
1: too much <laughs> I don't know who James, I, <laughs> I think that's really bad coaching on our part so, <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly who James was and, and to our defense he was hurt um, all of fall camp as a, as yeah. our first year here Um but I kind of put that on the shoulders of all of us. I mean, what were we thinking? Like we didn't see, you know, the athleticism, the size and speed, you know, even in summer conditioning, I know we were blinded and only trying to figure out how tough to get guys and who was going to compete and who was going to fight. We neglected to look at a few things and (laughs) maybe the athleticism (laughs) was one of them, but um, he also you know, was was not doing real well in, in the classroom. And I just, as a whole, um, you know, I give all the credit to James and and, and what and Coach Brady and, you know, bringing out the confidence in him probably from that room that poured out onto the football field.
0: I've asked you this in, in different ways before, but I'm still curious.
1: Um, should I, should I so give you a different answer than you've asked me before? <laughs> or?
0: Maybe I'm trying <laughs> for it uh Kobe Bryant, Derek Forrest, those guys that that jumped in first with you, um I know you don't it's like your kids you say you don't love one more than the other, but you actually do um, <laughs> That's why I only had one, so I didn't have yeah, there to make you go decisions. you got um, a dog now,
1: so you might have to make a choice yeah i do
0: I, I do the puppy. The puppy's a favorite. The kid might be on her way out. The Until he favorite,
1: does something so. in the carpet, then it'll go switch real quick. So it, it changes <laughs> in my house, too. So it's just whether they're <laughs> a puppy or they're a kid, I just got six of them.
0: Uh, how, for you, what's that relationship like with those guys? Because they believed in you, because they they were, they jumped on first, Jarrell White, like that, that whole group, uh, and, and even Mike, uh, Mike even Warren. though he's, he's exploring his professional options now
1: there is something different there's no doubt um you know and and see I got a different cre- answer give credit yeah. where credit is due I mean had it not been for those guys something has to be the start of it and for those guys not only to commit to coming here but coming here with the attitude that helped us really in a lot of ways shape you know the environment and the culture of what it is and and you know I say it all the time Kobe and, and Mike Derek as well The three guys that are you know, and get some of those highest awards in the Iron Bearcat. That doesn't mean they're great football players, but it means that they've trained and worked and committed and put the team in front of themselves um, to make an example of, you know, and I know Cortez would never want to say it or Cope would never want to say it, that that they learned something from those guys. But it was easier for those guys when they walked in the door to have that selfless commitment to the coaching staff and and even what was going on because, because they didn't know anything different. And it's always harder sometimes to, to kind of get that from the older guys because, you know, they've done things different and seen things done differently. So, again, it doesn't mean that we love them more because we love them all the same. That's what we were taught, okay? Yeah. But it does mean we like them more. And I tell my kids that a lot of times, I don't like you right now because of some of the <laughs> things that you do. And I like your sister a lot more. But the reality is I love you all. Um, so I really like that, uh, some of the things that they brought, um, at being a part of this. So had we not had that class our first year, I'm not saying we wouldn't have won any more than four games, but I don't know that we could have kind of created an environment and, and, you know, a, a togetherness with really without those core group of guys that, came from programs where they knew what selfless sacrifice was all about.
0: Derek is one that stands out to me because
1: he doesn't get a lot of the, the hype.
0: He doesn't get a lot of the recognition. He's not flashy. But from the day he got here, I remember two weeks in, Brady was telling me, this kid, I love this kid. And <laughs> tell me about about Derek's journey through this. And now he kind of feels like he's become kind of the the heartbeat, the, the silent, kind of voice of the team um, as he has matured and grown into that role.
1: He is in a lot of ways. And I don't know if Derek would say this. I felt like it was easier for Derek and I to make a connection and not, it's all about, you know, building and creating and, and having a relationship and it starts with trust. And the unique thing for me and Derek is not that we both were from Columbus, but it might be, have something to do with, I recruited one of his best friends and was a big part of recruiting one of his best friends. And and I got to believe in some ways that that was a big part of us getting him and, and probably had a little bit more insight about me and who I am and what I'm really about. Um, that when he walked in the door here, thank God he had that kind of personality and that kind of confidence that I don't know if people asked him or said some things or, you know, but for him to show the faith and belief maybe he's the one guy that knew me, didn't really know me, but knew me um, differently than even Mike Warren, who i had recruited for three weeks or, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant, who in some ways knew me a little bit different too because of his brother. So it gave us an opportunity. And I would say both him and Kobe, um, maybe to, for guys to have a better understanding of who I was and, um, maybe even who Coach Freeman was because they had maybe had some connection, Kobe with his brother and, and him, um, which I think goes a really long way in that locker room. And I give all the credit in the world. Um, and the transition from year one to year two is not a position change. It's not one guy. It's not, you know, just Desmond Ritter, but it's, it's the ability for that locker room to kind of create a little, a, a lot of trust, respect, and love in there. And that doesn't happen unless – You've got some really good people, and, um, and that's – Cope and Cortez were great people and great leaders, but I think with some of the strength of who you know, Derek is and who Kobe are and having you know, our back as a football staff, I think really helped with the transition.
2: You talked about one of the biggest challenges of this current circumstance is kind of the lack of structure because that's a big thing, whether it's for players or for, for coaches. So for you, what's been the biggest challenge for you personally with that? What's maybe something you're doing differently
1: right now than you would have otherwise, other than growing a beard? <laughs> well, I, I'm a structured person, so for me to, you know, it, the biggest a difference for me is not going into the office to get my workout, but still being here getting a workout. I mean, you'd be amazed. I mean, we, my wife would tell you, I think she, you get more work done right now than than you did when you were at the office, unless I didn't realize what you were doing at the office because you're working all the time. Um, And I really feel like we are getting a lot done. We're having, you know, a lot of conversations, talking ball. Um, What I don't think I realized, I knew it, but I didn't also realize it. And I don't know that everybody else realizes it, that, you know, we're worried about the kids, you know, what's their structure. And we're not around them when I need them probably more than they need me. And, it was like the end of last week that I started to realize that. And there's a reason why I kind of drive over by there and just drive by the apartments and, you know, just to see, because in some ways I feel empty, like, and it's not that I'm not getting able to yell at somebody. Cause I got plenty of kids here to yell at. <laughs> it's just, you miss the energy. Like you miss the vibe. You miss that. That there's an amazing different energy that's created by 18 to 22 year olds that love what they're doing, than it is, you know, for all the other stuff that I do. And so, where we say we're worried about our kids, I, I I didn't realize I'm worried about myself of not having some of those connections and missing that those relationships Um, because I don't get to have the individual meetings like, you know, all the other coaches because I want them to be able to do what they need to do. So, um, I. Right now, I'm believing it's a little bit tougher on me saying, hey, I, I miss them I'm sure a lot more than they miss me.
2: Let's uh, let's talk about TikTok. I know you, <laughs> you kind of started that off a couple weeks ago, but now it's just grown into this phenomenon <laughs> with, with all of your assistants and your players and everything.
0: Gino was screwed. <laughs> What's that? Gino was screwed.
1: Well, I was if I was a betting man and I was going to put money on the table um, – I would have put my money on Coach Gino, uh, the Hall of Famer. I told Coach Freeman, I so said, "You're gonna have to come out of your shoes because to beat the Hall of Famer here, you're gonna need you're gonna need something special." So, um, but I, I think, regardless of anything else, I, I'm glad I started it because if I had to be involved in that, <laughs> that man, my home would have been chaos. So, but they created, actually, Kelsey Sharkey, who is awesome and wonderful and got to have all the credit for the creativity behind that. Um, she's the one that talked me into doing mine and (laughs) told me exactly what I was doing. And, um, and I think at this time it's really hard to find content, you know, I mean, okay, we can replay the UCF game. How many times we can (laughs) reshow highlight videos, but there's people that have a special gift to create things and have that, you know, creative, which I don't. So you need those kinds of people on your staff. Um, but to come up with that idea, it, I know this, it gave my family a lot of fun. Um, they were waiting for it to come out and waiting for, you know, the voting to happen. And, I mean, we, used to, we watched it as a family over. I don't know how many times they watched that last, those last two. Um, so I, those are the things that are another part of your program that, that uh, I think not just the locally, but I think that everybody starts to can get behind because, you know, it's a lot of fun was uh coach crook was he the biggest surprise <laughs> it might have been my silent favorite just his <laughs> his final move the final move I think that uh maybe of, of all of them the very first one of coach crook with the uh with the drum roll there uh I think that was a surprise to me and one of my favorite as well did they Tanuta, pop- do you know what's that did they ask touda? I don't know. You know what? I don't know who she all asked to do it. I think she, uh, she's wise enough to figure out where, where this is going to go and knowing (laughs) darn well that, you know, that, uh, the guys that are going to have the bigger families and and little kids involved are going to probably, I didn't even know TikTok. I thought TikTok was all dance. I didn't realize TikTok meant like things like those guys were doing, like reenactments of things or short. I, I don't, heck, I didn't know. So, um, so she strategically picked, obviously, who she was uh, thought was going to put a lot of time and effort into it and who would use the props necessary. I
0: know this. They were competitive about it.
1: Like, oh. Oh, they, they, they wanted to beat each other bad. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's some people that want to recount now. I mean, be, between Coach <laughs> Brady – I didn't hear it from Coach Gino, but I know Coach Brady <laughs> and Coach Gino have gone together because some way, somehow, they believe Freeman won. But – Coach Bray doesn't believe he should have won the semifinals. He said, I had more likes. I had more retweets. I don't know where he's getting all this. And then Coach Gino, in some ways, had more likes and more retweets and didn't win. So there's been a lot of bantering back and forth amongst the staff that um, they want to get Coach, uh, uh, Kelsey into a room and make sure that they can figure out how these were all talented. <laughs>
0: coach these, these are obviously tough times for athletic departments across the country we, we saw what happened with soccer today uh, unfortunately for the university um, how do you navigate that that process and there's been talk about you know reduc- maybe a, a brief reduction in salaries or uh, things along those lines how do you handle that
1: as it's developing in front of you Oh I just want to I just want to <laughs> communicate and help the best way we can possibly do it. Um, I think, and, and I know John's new with, 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 you know, with probably knowing, not new at the job, but new here. Uh, and I think the biggest thing at you know, running any program or department is knowing your people. And, you know, so more than anything, knowing that, you know, everybody cares about each other and is willing to do whatever it is that they need to do. Um, you know, and I think it's hard sometimes, you know, especially for John, not knowing everybody and not wanting to be the bearer of bad news, but, we all understand. And no matter what, uh, it's like what I, I keep whenever I have conversation with them, I said, no matter what, I will do what is best for our kids, <laughs> you know, and, and football is uniquely different because we have so many, so, <laughs> you know, whatever it is that we need to, to do as a staff or, or me. So as, as the head coach, um, I'm willing to do. And I just think that we got to be out in front of this and, and, kind of projecting as to what more than anything our kids are going to need. So uh, we know it's tough times. Everybody understands that they believe in the things that we're doing Um, means we all are going to have to make some changes. Um, Finally,
0: is the most difficult part of all this, the uncertainty, not knowing when things might return, when when things might not get back to normal, when, when, you might not get to see your team again. I mean, is that the hardest part about all
1: this? Yeah, we're so used to, you know, whether it's how we work out. Okay, hey, you got eight reps here, you know, so you count down or you count up and, you know, everything is okay. It's a it's a Sunday of game week and that structure of knowing when those things are coming, hey, it's spring ball, it ends this, and you go to this. Um, being vague and not knowing an end point or, or how to set a schedule is probably as difficult a thing as there is um but as for me trying to figure out like okay what are we going to do when we when we come back and I got a, a a league meeting that they want me on today with just a couple people about okay we're trying to set schedules for you know what is your opinion of you know, all these different and I'm like look those I don't want to say I don't want to be involved in trying to figure out what's going on but the reality is I got 120 kids you know we've got a big staff we've got a big group of kids I'm looking at month to month and how do we keep our coaching staff and our kids engaged? Um, not looking ahead to exactly when it's going to end, but just figuring three to four weeks in advance. And, you know, it's like all those things, Hey, what's, Hey, what are you voting? What are you doing about the trans? Look, my, I don't know that I'm going to have a whole lot of say on what it is that they're doing. I'm not going to spend all my time worrying about doing those things when my time is going to be spent on, hey, what can I do best for our staff and what can I do best for our kids? Um, if you sit and think about it, it, it can get absorbed. It can take your whole entire day, and it's going to be really difficult. So, yeah, that's those are those other kids. Um,
2: <laughs> so I'm just
1: saying, hey, I'm not looking at what the end point is. I got an idea, but how do we keep those next three to four weeks and where are we headed with it? Um, when we get to that point, when they know that there's a date – then we'll start planning and putting together the, the idea of, okay, do we have six weeks? Do we have eight weeks? Do we have five weeks to do what we need to do to get ourselves ready for a game?
0: Well, coach, thank you very much for coming on. It's been good hearing from you um, other than you sending me texts,
1: taking shots at me. Uh, as usual. <laughs> well, Hey, anything I can do to keep you on your toes, you know, <laughs>
0: He, 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 we joke like you you guys heard this this uh joke back during uh the end of or the beginning of spring football he yelled at me for not stopping a play coming at me you know and I, then he I, sends me the, he screen, me the
1: video i could i could screen I, I could share screen that and actually pull it up for out do of my computer and pull it up for everybody to see you get out of the way and let the kids go flying into the i mean you're there for a reason you're I hate to say this, but you're expendable. The kids are not. <laughs> you know, if we got you in a in, in a in a sling or in a in a, in a in on crutches for for six seven weeks, you we'll be okay. We'll help you. We can't have one of them, so we just got to make sure we re, we go over the rules of being at practice and what is your expectations on the side over there?
0: What? How does it work if I pull Justin in front of me? Is hey,
1: that, is that okay? That's fine. It's okay. kind of like that idea of what happens if, the, if a bear gets loose, he's coming. Well, you th- I mean, you have to outrun the bear. You just got to outrun the guy next to you. So right. if you put him in this way and he stops the crash, hey, you've done a very good job.
2: All that's, right. Uh, he might not like know. you
1: anymore, but you know what? You'll be invited back to practice anytime. That's, that's unhealthy competition.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried outside our locker room.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Coach, thanks. Appreciate it. I know you, uh, you've you got a lot to tend to there. It sounds like the natives are getting – it's, get,
1: it's starting to get to get restless, you know. My wife's been gone for 40, 40 minutes or 30 minutes, and uh, it's starting to get restless out there. Well, thank you
0: for taking some time. We appreciate it, and stay safe. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, see you back on the practice field soon, where uh, Justin is probably not going to be standing as close to me as usual.
1: <laughs> All good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Justin. Joe. See
0: ya. See you guys. Yeah, Justin, thank you. Appreciate it. It' uh, good time as always. As, as coach tries to get out of here, um, we got a dancing bearcat today. So uh, sort of.
2: Sort we got to work on these coaches with their the way they post their their gifs. I think it was yeah. a frozen dancing bearcat.
0: It was a frozen dancing bearcat. He probably lost it. It had been a while since we've gotten a basketball commit.
2: <laughs> I'm, touch, I'm not touching that one. All right. That was all Chad. That was all Chad.
0: But you gotta get back to uh to, to be in daddy daycare as well. So yeah. thank you for popping on. Much appreciated. And uh we will talk soon. Uh you will not be here Thursday, unfortunately. I know you're very disappointed. But I'll Thursday be, I'll night. Be
2: watching and listening though, trust me.
0: Thursday night, Dave Simone and I will be talking to none other than Jake Sopko. So, thanks for tuning in. Everybody, thanks for listening. Justin, thanks for your help. Thanks to head coach Luke Fickle. I'm Chad Brendel. This is the BCJ podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com.